Well, Philippians, we're working our way through there, and we're actually now entering into a different section of the book of Philippians. So we're just going to jump right in. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but to you it is safe. We call this book of Philippians joy, Jesus and others and you. And he says when you have that formula, you have joy, rejoicing. He says this 14 times in this little book. He's already said it several times. The word finally is not mean he's wrapping up the book. Actually, a better translation of what we would say today as we go on and look at the remaining topics. So he's, he's just simply saying there's a shift. Uh, as we move forward and talk more about things, uh, I know a lot of these things, I'm going to be, it's going to sound like you've heard me say this, not once or twice, but many times. And Paul is sort of knowing his audience, going, you're going to go, I already know this. But he says, I know, but it's not tedious because it's essential for your safety. So he's talking to the brothers. He's saying, dear brothers and sisters, and we're going to discover that they were having a hard time with getting along with one another, being at rest and peace with one another. So as we look to this next section of the book, really in the next half, my dear brothers, you need to hear this again. This is by the Holy Spirit that you hear this again. And then he says the word, that you would rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, uh, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, will rejoice. In chapter 2, verse 16, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. In 2.17, yes, and if I am important as a drink offering, the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all in the same way you all be glad and rejoice with me. In chapter 2.28, therefore I sent him uh, to you more eagerly, Epaphroditus, that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. And then we're going to see in this chapter uh, a couple of more times, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, for we are of the circumcision, worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. This is part of the passage this morning where he's going to say we rejoice in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, sorry for the misprint there, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say Rejoice, the grand poobah of all the rejoicing verses there. Uh, on the 14th time, he's going to say this. There's a few of them. Now, he doesn't say rejoice. We're not a group of a bunch of positive thinkers. You know, we're not the optimist club. There is a power in being positive. I, I, I understand that. Uh, it's better to be around positive than negative people, right? <laughs> But it's not the truth that God's word says. God's word says, get your eyes on the Lord and now rejoice in the Lord. A big difference. It may seem like a small point, but it's a very important point that's being clarified here. Boy, to rejoice in the Lord. Let me think. Is there anything to rejoice in the Lord about? 
mean, that, 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 that list is infinite, isn't it? It's interesting when uh, Cameron was talking this morning in between the songs, he actually made the three points out of the sermon. I know he didn't see these notes. But number one, to rejoice because Jesus Christ, all that Jesus Christ has done for us. He paid for all our sins. He rose again. We are to rejoice because heaven is coming. That, that should be enough to make stuck on the freeway. Heaven's coming. <laughs> Stub your toe. Heaven's coming. <laughs> we need to rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that great? We have been given by Jesus Christ a gift to us of eternal life. Interesting, Jesus makes that very point. Remember in Luke 10 when they're out and they come back going, even demons listen to us and they came out of people. We, boy, we were, it was the greatest time casting those demons out. And Jesus sort of rebuked them. He said, stop that. Rejoice in this. And he actually says it in Luke 10, 20. Rejoice rather that your name is written in the book of heaven. Isn't that awesome? Your name is written in the book of life. In heaven. Boy, there's so many things. We'll just have to stop there. But Paul points out that we, like all people, learn best by repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition. That's how we learn, right? And the Bible understands this. God understands this. And so as we think about things, as we grow, we hear it again, and it has a deeper and greater meaning to us. It was interesting, a few weeks ago, I talked about Jesus in the flesh. And back to back, I had one person tell me, uh, I said, what did the Lord speak to you today? Oh, Jesus came in the flesh. It's, I've known that almost all my life. Yep, great truth. And then another person said to me, I've known since I was a kid raised in church, Jesus came in the flesh, but I never understood it to the depth that I understood it today. And I, I can't worship enough that Jesus came and this stinking human sinful flesh to take our sin. It was just, it was a revelation moment. Same sermon. And it's, it's again where we are spiritually so often, whether we have the ears to hear. And by repetition in the Bible, reading it over, it's the living word of God. It's going to keep getting deeper and deeper as we grow more and more mature. So for you old Mature Christians here, there's that quote that says, right? If it's new, it's probably not true. Oh, there's new truths, this guy. When I go to this church, I hear, I hear things I've never heard before. Ah, red light, ding, 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 you know, red flag there. If it's new, it's probably not true. If it's true, it's not new, right? I mean, if you start hearing new stuff, you need to worry. But if you're hearing the same old truths, but yet you're hearing it, with new ears each time. That's the sign of health. So Paul is not apologizing <laughs> for saying the same thing he has said to them. He knows it's exactly how we learn and what the Lord wants to say by repeating the same truths. He actually says it's safe for you or certain or truthful. This, this word, it basically, we would say today, this way it will be concreted into your very heart, mind, and soul. You'll know it, and you won't forget it, 
You'll know it. It'll be a part of you. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? In Proverbs 6, 21 to 23, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Boy, there you go. Solomon nailed it. It's something that you wake up thinking about it, going to bed thinking about it. It's constantly getting deeper and deeper cemented into your life. Well, now we go to verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilations. Beware, beware, beware. Beware is saying, see, understand, discern. You need to have these spiritual eyes that can see what's going on. Remember Satan, when he appears, the Bible says he comes as an angel of light. If Satan were to appear right now, he wouldn't be red with horns and a pitchfork, okay? He would be like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Do you, do you remember the first time you saw a peacock with its wings out? I always think of that. It's, you see this little thing running around, and then it stops, and then whoo, the big, beautiful fan. And they're all so unique. Have you noticed that? I grew up in uh, Visalia, Mooney Grove, and they had them all over the place. They, 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 of course, when they make a noise that sounds like a, a woman screaming, <laughs> bloody murder. So it's a little eerie sounding, but, but when they span out, man, it's so beautiful. I, I picture Satan just spanning out, and we would all be in awe. And so he, he is saying that you need to use spiritual discernment. Because a lot of these dogs, these evil workers, they're not on the outside of them, not at the onset, going to be seen. People teaching you heresy or leading you astray, it'll quite look opposite of that. And so the dogs, you can go back all the way to Deuteronomy, talking about Satan, satanic type of worship and sexual a satanic worship with the worship of these gods, and they call them dogs. But then in the Jewish culture, they basically called all Gentiles dogs, especially the Romans. But Paul is turning it around and saying, you Judaizers, you Pharisees who have become Christians, and now you're trying to get all the Gentile Christians to get circumcised and keep the law, you the dogs. He turns it back and calls them the dogs. Interesting. What a, a, a front that would have been to these Jewish uppity-ups to be called dogs. That would have been uh, the most offensive thing Paul could have said to them. And then also, beware of the workers, beware of the mutilations, the evil workers, bad-natured, injurious people that are working to undermine your faith and you don't even see it at the time. And then finally, um, he says, beware of the mutilations. That's the Judaizers trying to get them to get circumcised. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, 
He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. The book of Galatians, they were having the same issue as the church in Philippi with these Judaizers trying to lead them back into Judaism. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be tangled again in the yoke of bondage. That is the law. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if anyone becomes circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. Remember what James said in chapter 2, verse 10. If you start keeping the law at one point, you got to remember, you got to keep the whole law. And if you break one little point, then you're guilty of all the law, right? If I've never gotten a ticket in my entire life over 50 years, never gotten in trouble with the law ever, right? And then I go rob a bank. I can say to the police officer, look at my track record. I've never broken the law, so you guys should just give me a pass. Is that going to work? You only got to rob one bank. It's not like you got to rob five or six of them. Just one time you break the law, you're guilty of all the law. The whole law will be against you. In Galatians 5, moving on in verse 4 through 10, you have become estranged from Christ. You who are attempted to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope or the certainty of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him, God, Jesus, who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So he makes it clear to them. These evil workers, they are from the devil. They may be religious. They may even call themselves Christians. And, 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 try, and Judaizers is trying to lead you back to get circumcised and keep the law. But they are not in line with the one who called you to salvation. And then beware of the mutilation. Um, this is Paul being funny here. These Judaizers that want to circumcise these uh, Gentiles in Galatians 5, verse 11 and 12. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. In other words, don't stop at the circumcision. Do the whole thing. Paul here is being a bit crude. But he's trying to say, hey, there's religious groups that become eunuchs to worship their God. Why don't you do that? Don't, don't do this little tiny circumcision thing. That's for the religious wimps. If you're really religious, go for the whole thing and make yourself a eunuch. Paul's very angry at, at this. You got to realize that when we come to Christ, just like he, he says here, that the offense of the cross has ceased. They were saying, oh, no, Paul preached the circumcision just like we are. And Paul says, if I'm preaching that, then why is the gospel of grace so offensive to these religious people? Because you got to stop being religious. Being religious. I, I've, in the same way, I've had people that have come to the church and, and received the Lord, and, and they go through a, a time of lukewarmness, and they just like, yeah, I want to go back to being a Catholic, you know? 
I love the fact that they do it all for me. All I got to do is show up and go brain dead and, and then leave and do a confession once a week and do a few Hail Marys and our fathers and they guarantee they're going to get me to heaven. It's got to have that pressure off of me. We're saying, man, no, it's grace. It's, it's a certainty. God, is. you believe in him, you're, you're going to be having eternal life. You will not perish. It's already a done deal. But yet they wanted to exchange faith for religiousness because that religiousness, that outward act, is more familiar to them. You see, when Christ saves us, it's all inside. And then on the outside, as we mature in him, we begin to see the reality of what God did in us. Hopefully, not always, but hopefully. But religion says, do this stuff on the outside and it'll start changing the inside. The more times you kneel and stand up and curtsy, the more time you, you say all these Hail Marys and Our Fathers, every time you come and bow and stand up and bow and stand up, the more you do that, the more you will become obedient to God in your life. And the Bible makes it clear that no outward actions, no matter what they are, can change the inside of the heart. That's something only God can do by his spirit. Remember when they were <clears throat> teaching this after Paul had started his ministry and they were all right behind him trying to, try to Judaize all the Gentiles that, Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, that Paul led to the Lord. And finally Paul had to stop and say, let's go in the very first council in Jerusalem in 50 AD happened in Acts 15.1. It starts off in Acts 15.1 by saying, a certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. I know Paul said, believe on Jesus and you're, you shall not perish, you have everlasting life. Not true. You also still got to get circumcised and keep the 613 laws of the Old Testament. Well, they had this big discussion at the end of it. They had a, in verse 23 to 24, they wrote this letter by everybody in the consensus saying, the elders, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are in Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, uh, Celsia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you in words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, <clears throat> to whom we gave no such a commandment. And he goes on in verse 25. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same thing by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that is to abstain from foods uh, sacrificed to idols that have blood in them, and things that are strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now, Paul turns around in Corinthians, and he says, eat whatever you want. I don't care if it's sacrificed or not. As long as you're doing it in faith, you're, you're fine. But he does say, yes, absolutely. The moral law of the Old Testament stands. If God hated homosexuality, 
In the Old Testament, he's not going to start liking it in the New Testament. If he hated adultery in the Old Testament, he's, he'll hate it in the New Testament. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His nature doesn't change. So there's one part of the law that's the moral law, and that stands. You might remember in 1 Corinthians 5 where the man had married his father's wife, his stepmom. And Paul goes back to the law and quotes that. That's an abomination to the Lord. So the moral law stands, but that's the only part. Well, moving on in chapter 3 here. For we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. It's not about getting circumcised. We are the circumcision. Paul's going to explain this. Who worship God in the spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. There it is. Are you, am, am I circumcised? Do you worship God in the spirit? Do you rejoice in Christ Jesus and you have no confidence in the flesh? Yeah, then you're circumcised. <clears throat> Let's look back in Romans chapter two. Paul talks about this in more detail to the Romans. In Romans chapter two, verse 25 to 29, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So he's, he's pointing out here, you got a circumcised guy, but then he fails in one of the 613 laws of, of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Doesn't, isn't he guilty as if he never got circumcised? So really, circumcision didn't keep him from being guilty of the law even though he kept this one aspect of the law. That's correct. Verse 26, Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Now, this is an interesting point. <clears throat> Let's hypothetically say that this guy doesn't get circumcised, but he keeps perfectly the 612 other laws. Wouldn't it not matter that he didn't get circumcised if he is such a righteous man? I don't think that's true, but Paul's just hypothetically throwing it out. And in verse 27, and will not the physical uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even your written code and circumstances are circumcisions, are transgressors of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Jew from Judah, the tribe of Judah, David. The tribe of Judah means to praise. So Paul is, is doing sort of a, a word play here. <clears throat> is not a one who praises God, a Jew, who gives praise to God? It's not outwardly nor is circumcision the outward in the flesh. Now, verse 29, he says, for he is a Jew, that is one who praises God, who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise, whose Jewishness, or whose praiseworthiness is not from men, but from God. Isn't that the truth? God doesn't just judge on the outward side, does he? God mainly judges us from the heart, <clears throat> and what's in the heart. 
So the self-righteous Jew was trusting in his outward physical circumcision to make him right before God. But circumcision was simply an outward act of an inward reality. The outward physically cutting away of the flesh was to represent that of an inward, true cutting away of the sin from the heart. Legalism does not make, a righteous, make one righteous before God, but rather a life in the spirit. A true self-righteous Jew was seeking the praise of men. The true Jew seeks the praise of God. The true value of circumcision, it's, it's interesting that we have in Genesis 17, Paul telling Abraham to be circumcised and all his descendants to be circumcised until the Messiah comes. And that's how they're going to, one of the things they're going to do to keep themselves set apart. But it's interesting, if you look at the other passages in the Old Testament talking about circumcision, it quickly goes from the outward physical circumcision to talking about something much deeper. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, for example, Moses says, therefore circumcision, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Listen to Jeremiah prophesying of a day. In verse 31 to 34, after the Messiah would come, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that made with their fathers. And the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. In verse 33, Got a frog in my voice. I told Cheryl we shouldn't eat those frog legs last night. It won't make a difference. Anyway, verse 33 now, Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I make, will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then when the new covenant comes, I'm going to read that again. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No more shall every man say, teach his neighbor, nor every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Ooh, I love that last line more than anything. And that day... They won't be bringing new sacrifices or repenting their sins. They will be forgiven of their sins and their sins will be remembered no more. So as we wrap it up, we have these three aspects who worship God in the spirit. Jesus talked a little more about that with the woman at the well. Remember, she's like, oh, let's talk religious stuff. Uh, My father, he built a a well up here on this hill, and that's where we go to worship. You Jews say we got to go to Jerusalem, and you won't let us uh, get in there. So what do you say? And Jesus says very plainly to the woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. 
in chapter 4, verse 22. You, you worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship for salvations of the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking those who are living a life in the spirit, those who are not trying to be outwardly righteous so others can see it, so other men can approve and say, oh, he's a spiritual person. Oh, yeah, he's a leader in the church. Oh, he's a righteous man. That you're like, yeah, you know, people's opinions really at the end of the day aren't going to stand for much. I'm glad you think highly of me. But Lord, you know, you know the true motives of my heart. Have you ever done something good and then later the Lord showed you your motive and how bad it was? Years ago, a pastor I listened to quite a bit, Jack Hayford, he was uh, sharing at a pastor's conference where he would spend extended time, he had a large church, of greeting people. And in the back of his mind, he was pretty proud of himself that he greeted so many people. I was exhausted. He had three services, but he stayed and greeted everybody. And the Lord just one day revealed to him, when people are dressed really nice, they look rich, or they're nice-looking people, you spend more time with them. When somebody's dressed not as nice, or they're fat, or they're ugly, you, you basically try to just get through, just say hi, and, and you turn away. And he said, I, I was so completely unaware of that. And he just realized at that point, man, God's going to have to judge me. <laughs> I can't judge me. But he just so deeply repented over that. Yeah, our outward righteousness, even our outward righteousness of our own calculation of ourself, doesn't mean anything. (laughs) It's what does God say? And God is simply looking, as you look in Hebrews 11, how did every man of God through history please the Lord? By faith. Not about my eyes on me, how am I doing, but how is the Lord doing? (laughs) He took my sins. He bore them. Remember the night before? He took the cup. This is the blood of a what? A new covenant. The Messiah has come. The, the old circumcision and the Jews keeping themselves separate so they could be the lineage of the Messiah. It's no more. It's gone. The old's been taken out of the way. Jesus took all of that and nailed it to the cross, taking that out of the way. The 613 laws of the Old Testament are gone. Now there's just the one thing. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that he sent his only begotten son? Do you believe Jesus punished for your sins on the cross? He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead. That's it. God's looking at your heart to see if that faith is there. 
And when that faith of just saying, yes, Lord, I trust in you and you only, you are righteous. Well, you're in me and I'm in you in a perfect unity. So if you're righteous, Jesus, I am righteous. <laughs> if you're pleasing to the Father, then I am pleasing to the Father. You see, it's, it's a certainty and there's not a, a, a worry or a doubt of saying, what if I'm not faithful? It's not a, get your eyes off yourself. God can't be unfaithful. That's the point. But what if I'm unfaithful? If you're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Well, what if, what if I start struggling with sin? Where sin abounds, his grace abounds more. It's not about your sin, it's about his grace. Is his grace sufficient for you in whatever weakness you go through? You see, the, the point is, is to have a simplicity of faith. That's what Paul told the Corinthians, I fear for you. Listen, Eve was deceived. So your hearts would be deceived from one thing. What was it? The simplicity that's in Christ. But, but don't, I don't really feel like I'm worshiping unless I have a big giant baggage of things. Can't we just light a few candles? You know, can't you just burn a little incense at least once a year, Brian? You know, can't we all wear robes one day and make it feel like we're holy? Isn't there some kind of special haircut I could get or some beads I could count or a special rug I could kneel on? Man, I, I need something here. No, that's the whole point. The whole point is that religion has to die and a relationship with Christ lives. And it's that simple, walking in him. And there's only one motive. It's to glorify him. I hope you're here at church today, not because what will people think if I don't show up, but just I want to glorify you, Lord. It's your church. You're going to be there. Two or three are gathered in your name. You said that God's given to the church pastors and teachers to mature us, to build us up. I want to be there. I want to be a part of that, that I can be strengthened to glorify you. The simplicity now. To the religious people, they hated the simplicity because that means they have to die to all their old religious stuff. And they liked some of that old religious stuff. Our flesh loves that religious stuff because we feel like we're really doing something. So I can see it. I'm getting myself closer to God. <laughs> I'm getting myself closer to heaven. I curtsied every single time. Did you, see the, did you see Charlie over there? He did not go down on his knees every time. He said, no, not me, baby. I was down on my knees every single time. And look at my cross. I turned that little one in. I got a big one now. And it's solid gold. Better not walk around in Beverly Hills with that on. Get beat up. But now, the religious stuff has to go. Just to worship God in spirit. And then what? Rejoice in Jesus. That's it. What, what, what is all our religion? It's just Jesus and what he's done for us. You want a religion, James says? Okay, here's true religion. Help out true widows and orphans in need. There's your new religion. If you need to do something religiously, write a check to the orphanage. Does that make you feel better now? I hope you're helping orphans and widows, but not out of religious, trying to gain, gain brownie points with God. <laughs> I hope you're doing it because you just want to glorify him. And it's really something God's done 
Just rejoice. Do you guys rejoice in Jesus? We're going to be doing it next Sunday morning, right? That's the whole point of it. He's risen. We're going to be rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And then the, fourth, the third thing is have no confidence in the flesh. No, not trusting and keeping the law. It's not about you and your performance. That daily you read the word because you just want to hear from Jesus. You pray because you just love Jesus. You share the faith and tell people because you just know he's the only way to eternal life. And, and you just want them to know that. Hey, do you know how to have eternal life? Let me tell you. Here it is. Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. He was buried. Third day he rose again. It's that simple. It's by having a faith in him. These are the qualities of the true followers of God. They learn to serve the Lord under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. They learn to boast in Jesus and what he has done for them, not in what they've done for Jesus. And they learn not to trust in their own abilities, but in the Lord's and his ability. You know, as we rethink of this circumcision thing, you know, the Abrahamic covenant, the Jews were not wrong. sort of being proud in the fact that they were circumcised because that it connected them with Abraham. As New Testament believers, are we proud about being connected with Abraham? We're all adopted as children if we have the same faith as Abraham. I am. When I go to Jerusalem, I wear a little beanie cap the whole time, man. People are, what are you doing that for? It's like, man, I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a child of Abraham, man. It's sort of fun, at least for those couple of weeks, you know. I'm proud of that. They were proud of that. And again, it, it, they, they did understand that it, the, the circumcision was about the cutting away of the flesh, that they weren't to be a part of the world, that the Jews in the world were to be separate. So when they talked on circumcision, they understood that they were to be separate from the world and and only follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was the sign of the covenant to the Jewish people. It was a unique thing that connected them with the God of Abraham and Abraham. So I, I understand why they, they, they're proud of that. And, and they want, as, as a New Testament Gentile believer, you're now a part of that family, this Jewish family. And, and so as a child of Abraham, even though you're Gentile, you're now proselyted in by having the same faith, Abraham, you should be as proud about circumcision as we are, so let's get you circumcised. I, I can understand that a little bit, right? But Paul says, absolutely not. Because if you're going to go back to the law, you've got to keep it all, and nobody can do that. So it's interesting if you look at this revelation of, of how things go. In chapter 17, like I talked about, he's, God told Abraham this would be a sign and a covenant to me and you and your children after you forever. And then in Deuteronomy 10, 16, Moses says it's not about the circumcision of your flesh. It's about the foreskin of your heart being circumcised. And then in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
that, that you may live. Interesting, isn't it? Paul, Moses says right up at the beginning, guys, if you got your flesh circumcised, but your heart, that old sin nature is not cut away from your heart and you're living this rebellious, sinful, stiff-necked life to not live for the glory of God, but you're living for whatever else, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, fame, money, whatever it is, then if that's not done, your physical circumcision doesn't mean anything. Even Moses said that. Again, in Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Take away this foreskin of your hearts. And then here's the last verse we're going to look at in Colossians 2. You definitely want to look at that. Colossians 2, verse 10 and 11. You are complete in him, in Jesus, who is the head of all principalities and powers. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting away of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So understand this. Right away, they say, get circumcised in your flesh. That's all there is. And Moses immediately says, if you're circumcised in the flesh, that's good, that you're separated as physically as a Jew, but it's a continual circumcision of the heart. You're circumcised daily. <laughs> it's not a one-time circumcision in the flesh. It's now a constant circumcision of the heart, that is putting the way of the old man and walking in the new nature. That's what Paul reveals to us, that the true circumcision is in a choice and a continued choice that we make to live a life after the spirit, not after the flesh. So when the Holy Spirit came into us and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he circumcised my heart, taking away that old sin nature and he put his spirit within me. Is that it? No. Now it's sanctification. Now we, we live daily the circumcised life. Christ has circumcised me that I can now walk circumcised. Christ has circumcised my heart, putting his spirit. God lives in me as a guarantee, as a, like the king's ring in the the candle wax, thank you. And, and uh, the Lord's put his stamp on us, the Holy Spirit. But that's, now it's not like go live however you want and you're going to go to heaven someday. That was never the purpose. The children of Israel were circumcised, but that's just a one-time event. Now they need to keep the law and, and try to at least and follow the Lord. And of course, the Old Testament tells us we, we can't do that in the flesh, can we? That our flesh is really sinful that nobody can keep the law, and by the deeds of the law, no man will be counted as righteous. But now in the New Testament, we can make the same born-again mistake. <laughs> well, I, I believe on the Lord. Is my name in heaven? Yes, you're going to heaven. That, it's, not a, it's not an issue. Are you a Jew after Abraham or not? <laughs> it's not a, a discussion. Is your name written in the book of life? That's, it's about earth stuff now. Are you living the circumcised life? God circumcised your heart so now you can walk in him by faith and walk after him. He circumcised that old sin nature so you quit walking in that sin nature. He put a spirit in you so you don't walk after the flesh anymore. 
So Paul, let me read that Colossians 2, verse 10 and 11 again. You are complete in him. That's done deal. Your heart's been circumcised by the Holy Spirit, who is the head of all principalities and powers. In him, you also, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the what? Putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He has done it. It is complete in him. We're going to stand in our new body, 100% sanctified, righteous when we're out of this body. But now, as a believer, we're not trying to make ourselves more righteous or more holy. But the reason the Lord has circumcised our heart is that we can walk no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. And as we walk in the spirit, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And it's a daily choice, isn't it? Every day, do I take up the cross or do I leave it right there? (laughs) Am I following Jesus and the way he would talk, the way he would live, the way he would? Am I living today, understand he's predestined good works for me that I should walk in them? Am I crucifying my flesh with his passions and desires? If you don't, then you're circumcised, but you're not walking the circumcised life. Christ circumcised us that we could walk that life of circumcision in him, a life in the spirit, rejoicing in Jesus. And the third thing was to have no confidence in the flesh. Lord, we come back to you, Lord. We know that we cannot perfect our salvation by doing good works, but oh, how the good works please you and The world sees these good works and they glorify our Father who's in heaven. Lord, we ask right now that as we head into this week before Easter, it's often to be a contemplative week, knowing all that you would have to go through, that we could have the joyful Christian life in you. And we thank you we're not under religion anymore. We thank you there's no religious robes or jewelry or rugs or a hundred. We've got to pray for an hour saying this rote prayer five times a day and facing the east or whatever. We thank you, Lord, that we're not having to walk around in a suit and tie with a suitcase or a briefcase every Saturday. We thank you, Lord, that we're free. Lord, we come back to know that, Lord, that you've set us free, that we could be free indeed. We could be free to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We couldn't before because we weren't circumcised of heart. We couldn't not give into the flesh, even though we hated giving into the flesh because your spirit wasn't living in us. But now, Lord, we ask that we would not be like the religious Jews who say, Get born again and go to church on Sunday doing your religious duty, but to not live that day-by-day fellowship with you in the Spirit. If there's any here today that are just mixed up, Lord, with religion, and, and, and they feel religious when they read the Bible, they feel religious when they go to church, they feel like they're having to please you and not get a black mark if they don't do these things. Set them free, Lord, in the spirit right now. They know you. They love you. 
If you're here today and you have not been born again, it's that serious. It's that simple. Jesus says, whoever receives him has eternal life. Just right now, Jesus, I receive you. I believe that you paid for all my sins on the cross and then you conquered them by your resurrection. That's all it takes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And Lord, we come to you now, Lord. And if there's any here that have been mixed up through years of, of hearing religion instead of relationship, have, have been messed up to not have this joyful life in you where they're rejoicing in you, Jesus. They're rejoicing to read the Bible because you're speaking to them. And they rejoice to pray because they're talking to you. They rejoice in coming to church because you're here where two or three are gathered and they're celebrating with you, Jesus. They want to go and tell the world what you have done because they love you. And they were so thankful of our salvation that we just can't stop telling others because we're so excited about you, Jesus. Lord, here we are, yielded before you. Break down any strongholds that have left the simplicity that's in Christ. In Jesus' precious name. Everyone said, amen, amen.